Esther and I do a little tag team work today. Always <laughs> works out well. We, uh, we look forward to, uh, to being, uh, being together in this, this way as we uh, share from God's Word and seek to uh, understand what God's Word may be uh, saying to us and how we might uh, take our lives and, uh, and apply them to that very same Word. As I've already mentioned, today we uh, celebrate Palm Sunday. And the people did line the streets, and they offered that uh, centuries-old response, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, that uh, great Hosanna was um, uh, meant for the coming king. And there were many, many people who lined the streets there in uh, Jerusalem uh, at the beginning of uh, Passover week, anticipating uh, Jesus' coming. Uh, they figured, uh, they'd heard such great things, and they figured that he, uh, uh, he would be the one, the one, the Messiah, who would uh, finally come and would vanquish the foe, Roman domination, and would offer freedom. He would be the coming king. Well, he was a coming king, all right, and he, uh, he did come to vanquish, to vanquish the foe. He did come to bring freedom. But all of that in a much more profound way than just vanquishing the Roman Empire. What Jesus did would, would far exceed uh, uh, the expanse of the Roman Empire, uh, would certainly outlast the Roman Empire. Uh, Jesus offers forgiveness and freedom to each and every one of us. And that opportunity is possible for every individual that is a part of uh, God's creation. Jesus comes to be uh, the one who offers freedom. And so we talk about that today, being set free in our freedom as we hope uh, we have uh, come to experience is in Christ. We, uh, we look today at a very important passage from um, the book of Romans. We consider uh, Romans, the eighth chapter, verses uh, one through two. We, uh, we see that that passage begins with the word, therefore. And whenever you uh, see uh, uh, the word, therefore, particularly in Paul's writings, you, you, you get the sense that he uh, brings us to a, a hinge point. He, he's been talking about this, and now he's beginning to, to move on to, to that. And so we encounter one of those hinge points in Romans 8, verses 1 and, and 2. Up to this point, uh, Paul has uh, been sharing a very carefully crafted argument for the, the presence and reality of sin in the world. And um, uh, Paul is, is also sharing, uh, even more importantly, uh, and, and just as profoundly, about the, the remedy uh, for that sin. And of course, uh, we have come to know that remedy in, in Jesus Christ. Jesus stands at the very center of the remedy of sin for today's world and for all time. As we have said many, many times during this sermon series on uh, good news, we have said that Jesus paves the way for our forgiveness and freedom. He paves the way 
for our forgiveness and freedom. And it is that freedom that we, uh, we highlight today and put uh, focus upon. Romans, the eighth chapter, is considered one of the, the great chapters of the entire New Testament. In fact, it is one of the, the, the great high watermarks, not only of Paul's writings, but of uh, the, uh, uh, the entire New Testament. It, it brings home what, uh, what Paul has been, been writing about in the seven previous chapters in the book of Romans. Again, this, uh, this sort of uh, systematic theology, if you will, one stating the claim that, that sin is present, is very much a reality, and that just as, as much of a reality, if not a more profound reality, is the remedy for that sin in, in Jesus Christ. So verses 1 and 2 get, get right to it. They do form that, uh, the beginnings of that triumphant passage that, that many of you are so familiar with. Let's not delay. Let's uh, hear this from God's Word, uh, Romans, the 8th chapter, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free, free from the law of sin and death. And so we hear the word, therefore, in this rousing statement to follow about being set free from the law of sin and death. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. So just preceding this uh, great passage uh, from uh, uh, Romans 8, Paul offers uh, basically about three-quarters of a chapter about his own struggle. His struggle is also our struggle. Paul's struggling with, uh, with sin that is very much a part of his life. Uh, that's been a struggle for him, particularly him being a Pharisee, and their, their, uh, uh, their uh, marker is so, so high. We've got to keep every infinitesimal uh, word of the, of the law, every jot and tittle. This is our lot. In order to achieve the sort of righteousness that, that God uh, would, would, would want for our, our lives. And so Paul sort of puts it this way. He says the very things that I know to do, I don't do. And the very things I know not to do, I do. And it becomes very confessional. He says, uh, what a predicament I'm in. What a, what a dilemma. Who's going to save me from this predicament? Thank God it has been done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The predicament of sin in his life causing great weight, overwhelming him, almost enslaving him. Who's going to free me from uh, that predicament? Thank God it has been done through Jesus Christ. He even gets to the point where he says, what a wretched man I am. But yet in Christ, he, uh, he has this rebirth, if you will, new life for him, new life, all on account of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 7 
was uh, the, the foundation, the text of the very first sermon that I preached back when I was in, in high school. And here, here I am near the end of at least a more uh, formal uh, place of, of, of ministry, and I am still preaching. Romans 7. Paul's uh, circumstance is mine as well. I, uh, I find myself in that dilemma, and I would say that you do as well. You know, that dilemma, the very things I know to do, I don't do. The very things I know not to do, I do. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to save me from this predicament? Thank God it has been done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I need help with such things. And Jesus offers that help. You know, he, uh, he did way back in, in high school when I was first uh, preaching this, this passage. And he offers help even to this day. And I am thankful for the good news that Christ is alive and active in my life. I'm thankful that he is in yours. I pray that he is in yours as your heart is open. Therefore, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And when I was in seminary, our president of the seminary, we were just all convinced that he knew every single word of the Bible. Not one time did he get up to speak that he was holding a Bible and he would just, the words would just flow out. He just had it all memorized. So you can imagine my excitement and my fellow students' excitement when he came out with a class called Interiorization of Scripture. So we all jumped on it. We wanted to hear Professor Brown and what he did with Scripture. And so he taught about interiorization instead of memorization. Basically what interiorization was, it was a process that you go through in Scripture where you don't only memorize the words in your mind, you write them on your heart. Romans 8 was the book that I chose to interiorize. And I don't think I could have picked a better book than Romans 8, especially that first line that we have talked about. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a better way to start a book of, the, of Scripture to remind us that we are free of whose we are. Have you ever noticed, or maybe even you struggle with this perception yourself, that there seems to be this view of God that He sits up on a mighty throne, up way above us, watching and waiting for us to do something wrong so he can judge us and punish us. He sits up there with a lightning bolt ready to strike us, or he sits up there ready to orchestrate something terrible when we do something wrong. It just seems that that is a common thought of who God is in our world. And I think that especially comes across when something really hard happens and we begin to hear things from people like, what did I do to deserve this? Why is God punishing me? Why did God allow this to happen? I know I have asked those same questions through hard times. I've had doubt 
and thinking that God was the reason that terrible things were happening in the world. And I think the world definitely presses that upon us as Christians because they don't want to think that we can be free. The world wants us to stay in bondage, to stay cuffed down to our sin. We especially feel this when there's a loss of life in a tragic way or when there's an abrupt change that is bad, like a loss of job or a health diagnosis, or even when there just seems to be a string of bad luck, when nothing is going right. Okay, God, I give. What do you want? I know I can't be the only person that's felt that way. But let's read this together again. Let's say this out loud today so that we can remember it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. A few weeks ago, we had our first women's event, the first women's event we'd had in over three years. And I tell you, I'm still being blessed when I go back and I think about that evening together. It was such a wonderful time of discovery and fellowship with one another. And we talked about just the tip of the iceberg of the Enneagram, which is a personality tool that can help us learn more about who God created us to be and how we can better live into that image that God has given us. There was a portion of that that I didn't really get to dig into. I talked about it a little bit, but I didn't really get to dig into it. And it's this triad of these personalities. And the triads are gut, that's a pretty image, huh? Gut, heart, and head. Gut, heart, and head. And so the reason for these triads or these, break, these ways of breaking these tops up is to help us understand the way we respond to the world. We interact with the world, especially whenever we learn that the world is broken, that the, the world is hard, and it's not an easy place to live. If you're in the gut triad, you respond with anger. If you're in the heart triad, you respond with shame. And if you're in the head triad, you respond with fear. And so I want to talk about what this could look like because maybe you'll recognize where you fall within that triad. So perhaps you deal with anger when life seems to be too much. And so you charge at it head first. You take it on and you hit it back. Or maybe you back off completely. You close yourself off from it. Or maybe you jump in and you go, okay, how do we fix it? Or maybe you're in the heart triad and you deal with it through shame. Perhaps you lean in and you see that people perceive you differently than you want to be perceived. So you lean in and you try to help to overcome that perception, to change it. Or maybe you turn into a chameleon and you try to figure out, okay, what do they really want to see and how can I live into that so that that's exactly what they see from me. Or maybe you turn inward and you go, who am I authentically, and how am I going to live that out so that I perceive to be unique and others will see me as being unique as well? Or perhaps fear is your underlying response. And so whenever you start feeling that fear, you try to gather as much information as you can because you feel like the more you know, the better off you will be. Or perhaps you turn to try to find some way to feel security from that fear, a way to feel safe. Or on the flip side of that, 
you do something really crazy or risky to try to overcome that fear. Or lastly, through that fear, you escape altogether to deny the pain or the reality that could be just too harsh to handle. Wherever you find yourself leaning, whether it's shame or fear or anger, there is only one way to true freedom. There is only one truth that will set you free. You cannot earn your salvation, nor can you lose it when you are in Jesus Christ. You can't earn it, and you can't lose it when you are in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Romans 8 tells us. When you find yourself trying to earn God's love or living into your coping mechanism of anger or fear or shame, remember that that is you living under the law of sin and death. We don't have to live under that law anymore. When we are in Christ Jesus, we live under the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit that gives us life. When we are living in that way of fear and shame and anger, we're trying to be the God of our own lives. We're trying to be on our own throne instead of allowing God to live there. So we got to knock ourselves off, and we have to allow God to be there, and we have to accept His gift his free gift of life, salvation, and freedom. So we are set free, and free indeed. Absolutely so. Christ makes it it possible. We talked just a second ago about a hinge point, uh, just absolutely preceding this Romans 8, 1 and 2. Paul writes this. He writes about sin. And I think he, uh, he writes as, uh, as one who has really experienced, really known, really expressed that in his life. He says, so then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. He probably felt that way as, uh, as a Pharisee a lot of times, a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Essentially what what Paul's saying, he's affirming here in this very last sentence of uh, Romans chapter 7, that the reality of sin is is very much uh, with us. Uh, It is uh, something that is so much a part of life. It's it's so much so that it's just a part of being human. Paul is very well well aware of a hold that sin has uh, upon us. In fact, he would go so far as to say that 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 hold of, of sin upon our lives is, is, is likened to that of being enslaved. The good news is this, that in Jesus there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He sets us free from the law of sin and death. And it's just set free stuff that we, we really want to, to, to highlight today to the extent that we do have not only an understanding, but a deep experience of the fact that, hey, we are set free, that sin no longer has the same sway, no longer has the same weight, no longer has the same presence in our lives. We are free. So we're no longer slaves to sin in Christ. It's just not who we are any longer. Our identity is in Him, the one who lived and died and rose again. 
the one who gave his life so that we might indeed be forgiven and freed. In fact, the power of, of sin was broken by what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus paid the supreme price so that we might have the freedom that we're talking about today and hopefully experiencing every day of our lives. You see, in Christ, we are redeemed. Now, we kick the word redemption around. It's another one of those churchy words that we've been kind of rehearsing here over the past few weeks. When we uh, consider redemption, being redeemed, it, it harkens back to, to days of, of, of slavery, particularly slaves as it related to the time of, uh, of, of Christ. See, in order for a slave to be freed, there had to have been a price paid. A price was paid so that the slave could be freed. A price was paid and freedom came. The price for our freedom in Christ and on account of what he, he did on the cross is, uh, is none other than uh, God's offer through his son. And when we consider that, when we stand at the foot of the cross and consider the great price that was paid, we should be humbled to no end. We should uh, find ourselves considering the broad expanse of God's love, that he would go to any length in order to convince us of that love. And above all things, it should move us to the place where we seek to accept for ourselves the great payment that was Christ for the wrong of our lives. There is no sweeter place to be in this life than to be free and, and free indeed. And that freedom comes in Jesus on account of what he did on the cross to once and for all be released from the things that we have done and then to be put on the path that frees us to be the sort of people that God would have us to be, that frees us to be counted among the number of the redeemed. Uh, there's no sweeter place, no more wonderful place on this earth. You know that great passage from John uh, chapter 10, verse 10, where it is written, the thief comes only to, to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have life abundantly. This is good news for those who seek to give their lives to Christ and in that accepting the freedom from sin and death. So we've, uh, we've quoted it a number of times throughout this series on good news. We have uh, shared from Romans uh, 3, 23 and 24. You know, as, as I've continued to read through and have shared from, uh, from our time here in worship this great passage, I, I really see it as, as one of those grand thesis statements, one of those summary statements that, that Paul uses to, to really bring home everything that he's trying to say, at least in the first eight chapters of Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, justified freely 
by His grace through the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so you see highlighted uh, words justified, grace, redemption. You know, they become the, the focus here, and, and Paul uses them in succession to really bring good sur- summary to what he is trying to get across. We've talked about being justified, which means to be made right with. It's a legal term, to be made right with. And in this case, through Christ, we are justified. We are made right with God. We, we know that all of this is on account of, uh, of, of God's grace, the gift of His love for each and every one of us. We cannot earn that love. It is simply bestowed upon us. It comes to us to, as we have said, to, to turn as if empty-handed to, to receive it, to know it full well. We are redeemed. We are set free. And the cost of that freedom comes at the expense of God's Son. As tough as that is to consider, and as even tougher it is to to grasp, it is ours to do just that. To understand the good news of being redeemed and the cost that comes with that redemption through Christ, it comes to us not just to consider or to grasp, but to accept and live into it and to know full well that we are forgiven and freed.